Disclaimer, this podcast is not to be a substitute for individual therapy. If you need assistance, call 911 if you're in the U.S. or any emergency phone number. If you need help, if you feel depressed, anxious, reach out to someone. This podcast is for educational or entertainment purposes only. Thank you. Welcome to the Social Work Brands Podcast. This is Bash Moreno. On this episode, I start a mini-series called Social Worker Spotlight, where I feature a social worker doing amazing work in the field. If anybody was listening to the podcast, fellow social worker that want to come on the podcast to discuss anything that they're doing, want to promote the amazing work that they're doing in the field, by all means, please reach out to me, DM me, uh, at uh, the Social Work Rants podcast page on IG. It's called, it's all one word, the Social Work Rants podcast. Uh, DM me, we could get you on the podcast. Today's episode features Justin Gillespie, LLMSW from Michigan. He discusses a nonprofit that he's been doing. It's amazing work featuring uh, physical health mixed with mental health. Also, he discusses his, and very openly his issues with binge eating disorder that doesn't get talked about within our field or in society as a whole. So, And also, he recently started a new job in the field with a population that he's never worked with before. And I know many of us social workers could relate to that. So check out my conversation with... Mr. Gillespie, he also known as uh, on Instagram as J Travis. So check out the conversation. Hey, Justin. I hear you now. How are you, Justin? Good, good. How you doing, man? Good. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This is awesome. No, not not a problem. So um uh, just uh, describe uh, what you currently currently do, what, uh, how long you've been in the social work field, things like that, and we'll we'll go into uh, your not for profit and uh, your merchandise and a lot of great things that that you uh, currently doing. Yeah, totally. So uh, my name is Justin. I kind of go by Jay. So whatever your viewers want to comment or say about me, you can go by either one. Um, I've been doing social work for about four years, three years with my MSW just passed, actually. And presently, um, I'm working at my full time job is a support coordinator for those with developmental disabilities. And before that, in the last four years, I've worked with individuals who had addiction issues, co-occurring mental health disorders, as well as children who have traumatic experiences because of their parents having addiction issues and mental health disorders. So that was kind of like my whole career. And um, I kind of did like a career switch to help uh, form my nonprofit. Wow, that, 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 sound, that sounds great. Um, uh, can you tell me more about uh, your nonprofit? Uh, what exactly is the purpose of the nonprofit? What exactly are are your goals for it? Uh, you can go from there. 
Yeah, sure. So my nonprofit is called Fitspace Wellness. You can find us at fitspacewellness.com right now. Um, we're also on Instagram at Fitspace Wellness. And basically the mission of my nonprofit is to essentially enhance mental health um, along with physical health at the same time. So a lot of this has to do with you know maybe individuals who have a lot of physical health issues in addition to mental health issues that's often not talked about. Um, and my personal experience for starting it was my recovery story from binge eating disorder, which I often label as the forgotten eating disorder, just because, you know, binge eating and overeating and just partaking in food is such a normality here in America and the Western world that whenever we think of eating disorders, we often think of anorexia and bulimia, but binge eating disorder is actually the most common eating disorder among men as well as anybody in America. So. Gotcha. That was definitely the inspiration behind it. Um, my original decision to open the nonprofit was eventually I wanted to start a mental health clinic that was affordable, that was also integrative. So having things like maybe dietitians, doctors, nurse practitioners, psychiatrists, in addition to your mental health therapist, but also I wanted to be able to incorporate fitness into mental health. So my ideal goal that we're developing right now is to start an outpatient mental health clinic that can offer uh, small fitness training, maybe group fitness with a certified fi a fitness trainer, and also teach those with disabilities, um, basically how to work out safely too. Well, that, that that sounds wonderful, and and it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, your f physical health could definitely help with your mental health, and and vice versa. So if you're not motivated, or you're you're not your right mental state to exercise you're not going to exercise and you, and you're not physically well you know it affects your emotions as well so that that's great um and, and if you could tell me more about your you know your experience with binge eating disorder like how, how long were you experiencing that how or are you still you know recuperating from that like just Tell us, tell us more, more about that, because like you mentioned, you know, everybody knows about bulimia and anorexia, but not so many people talk about binge eating disorder. Yeah, totally. So my experience with binge eating disorder, I became actually really aware of my issues with food. Um, actually, while in my BSW program, I had no idea that, you know, food addiction and binge eating disorder was even really a thing. Um, in my family, there was often a lot of binge eating disorder. In my extended family, there was also a lot of addiction issues like drugs and alcohol. So in my household, us partaking in, you know, you know, overeating, maybe even binge eating, uh, to me, it was seen as normal. And it was almost like, oh, well, I'm not like them. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like, my stuff is legal, and it's not a drug, and it's not alcohol. So what does it matter? You know, everybody diets, everybody cheats on a diet. Who cares? Right. Yeah. But a little bit more extensive than that. Um, there were periods um, after I became an adult where I started noticing that I was bouncing my checking account just to buy food. There were times where I, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but I would actually be at the store and I'd be at the U scan. And I realized I only had a few dollars left to my name and I'm going grocery shopping and I really need my fix of you know, candy that I like or whatever. And I would kind of look around and I might even just shove it in my bag and think that was okay. Cause well, it's like a dollar or something. So right. 
So it sounds so ridiculous, but it's kind of like, you know, the more I got older and the more I started learning about it in school um, and about issues of addiction, I kind of jokingly now say that my bachelor's program was kind of my unofficial IOP program for three years. That was really expensive because I wouldn't have even recognized anything that had to do with that had I not even went to school because the first thing I said to myself when they were talking about the addiction stuff was, oh my God, that sounds like me and food. And I was like, I was like 20 at that point. And I was just like, it kind of sat with me for a few days. Like at first I was kind of like joking about it, like, haha, whatever. But I realized, wow, this is like kind of a problem actually. Like it's kind of like affecting my life and not as way as you would see with, you know, drug addiction, but there's societal standards that have made things like drug addiction criminalized. And, you know, thankfully for my eating disorder and my food addiction, um, that's not the case. I mean, I'm probably not going to go to jail over. over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no, no, still addiction is addiction. And with everything going on with uh, American, American, Americanized food, no, uh, with diabetes, high blood pressure, heart disease, er, you know, everything that, that we eat, we, we got to take better care of ourselves and, you know, uh, organic food, uh, depending where where you live at, is uh, very expensive. So, mm-hmm. if you don't have the means to get the food, you no know, food could be pricey, and you j- you just eat what what's around you. And for many of us, you no, know, what what you see is uh, you know the, the junk food, the uh, bacon and cheese, and all this other stuff. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily healthy for us. Uh, affects our heart, kidneys, and all just a vital organ. So it's important to uh, know that you know, I appreciate you, you sharing your, your story and you know, it's important because uh, it is part part of the overall addiction spectrum and it, it does need to be uh, talked about. Oh it, oh, it does. And honestly, you know, food addiction isn't even like, you know, I use that, word, that term kind of loosely with binge eating disorder, but it's actually two separate things, which I can explain later on. But Basically, food addiction among a lot of even professionals is not even recognizable thing just because of the societal expectations that we have. And the other thing I was going to say, too, is with drug addiction and, you know, even addiction to alcohol, you will often see individuals maybe, you know, overdose and that's how they unfortunately pass away. And it's very instant. It's very quick. Um, And I think that's a big reason as to why it's not as recognized because a lot of the time with food addiction, it does take longer, but instead of calling it an overdose, we call it a heart attack or, or other means um, that would cause someone to pass away as a result of it. Right. Um, how How did you get into the field of social work overall? So I ended up getting into the field of social work um, completely by accident. So I feel like my whole life is just a weird series of accidents. <laughs> like I just started <laughs> eating disorder in school. So what happened was I literally didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Like I didn't know what was going on with my life. Um, at 17, I went to school for accounting. Can't do math to save my life and couldn't just sit there and add numbers all day. So I don't know where I thought that was going, but I ended up doing rolling in school where I went to college and high school at the same time. And it really just wasn't for me. So I kind of just started taking my prereqs and just figuring out what exactly do I like? And so anything that had to do with like psychology, sociology, anything like that kind of just piqued my interest for some reason. And so when I decided to go into social work, I actually was going to go to social work as like a way for me to work through grad school. 
and go be a lawyer. So I originally wanted to go to law school. And so I thought, why not go be a social worker? Because all I knew at the time was social worker, work with CPS. I'll go be a CPS worker. I'll get to go to court and I'll get to get that experience. And also there was a part of me wanting to avenge these kids that were in um, the CPS system, especially with parents who had drug and alcohol issues. Because again, my extended family, they had drug and alcohol issues. So all I saw them was, you know, these bad, bad people, let me go take these kids away and give them a better life. What ended up happening as a result of that, I get my BSW, my first job is at an addiction center and I fell in love with addicts. Mm. It was like the craziest thing. Like if you would have told me I would do anything with mental health or addiction, like five, six years ago, I would not have been telling you that would be my career. Right, of course, yeah. Sometimes that that just stuff just happens like that, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, that's very interesting. Now, uh, now, uh, where, where did you go to school? Where did you get your your masters at? Um, I got my bachelor's and my master's at Madonna University. So it's a Catholic university right outside of Detroit, Michigan. Um, it's a very, very cool school, actually. I personally loved it. Um, I'm personally not Catholic, but it was kind of nearby my house. And it worked out for me just because at the time when I was getting ready to go to school, my parents started to have very extensive health issues. So me kind of going away to college at the time probably wasn't going to be a big option. So I kind of went there, you know, I went to community college for two years. I kind of went there reluctantly because I just, I wanted the full-blown college experience. And I was kind of resentful. But then when I got there, I just kind of fell in love with school. I fell in love with the intimacy of it. There was like maybe 10 to 20 students in a classroom, if not less. So it kind of worked for me pretty well. Um, I have ADHD as well as a co-occurring disorder. So for me, I kind of learned that I kind of needed that as a learning style because Looking back on it now, if I had a classroom of like a hundred people, I, I probably wouldn't even be here today, to be real. Wow, that's no very very uh, Im- impressive. Uh, now, now I saw that uh, you were uh, planning to take your your LC. You have you have a date for the I, test? I do. I'm taking it Halloween. Ironically, that's kind of hilarious. <laughs> Fingers crossed on that. I'll be just. Uh, Yes, best wishes on that. Um, now, how how do you go about studying? Because I know that's a uh, a huge interest in those social workers. There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, different people promoting different stuff, and people might say, oh, this works best for me. And then some somebody else might oh, I've seen stuff on YouTube, and see, I'm ordering all these books, and it's just a lot of material to go over and. The test is not um, is you can't memorize everything, and it's not that type of test. So, is there anything that that you're using that's been helping you to study? Yeah, so I use this thing called Therapist Development Center, and it's actually the coolest thing I've ever came across in my life. So, my clinical supervisor gave me the, the suggestion for it. Um, I am definitely somebody that does not learn out of a book. I didn't learn out of a book in school. I I think I honestly, my professors are going to kill me if they ever hear this, but like, I probably didn't even open any of the books in school, <laughs> to be honest. I just kind of like, when everyone was talking about, you're going to have to read all these chapters and do all these pages worth of work. And, you know, I just, that was not for me. I didn't understand anything the book was telling me. I couldn't sit still for one to read it and 
because I had ADHD before. And then two, I had a hard time reading it. So I would honestly just listen extensively lectures and go off the PowerPoint and then do my own independent research. And that's how I got these tools. That's kind of how Therapist Development Center does it. They have a lot of recordings that you just follow in a series. And they have simple worksheets that you can follow along with, pretty carefully how you're improving. And they actually teach you how to think on the test rather than here's a sample question that will be on the test. They literally break down how to analyze the work first. Like, what is the first thing you do with the client versus what is the best thing you do with this client? And it really helps you uh analyze those questions and practicing critical thinking mm-hmm. well, uh, so that that's in in uh the acronym that that's the tdc correct i'm sorry you broke up what'd you say i said is a t tdc the uh, acronym? yeah tdc yep yeah, that's how that's how many many of us know, know it as. So yeah, that, I've heard uh, excellent things uh, about that. So uh, I've heard people pass or people feel that, but um, everybody's different. So you know, best wishes. You know, Halloween is definitely an interesting date to be taking the test. Well, well, honest to God, I said this Halloween. It's either going to be a day of celebration or a day of mourning. So I guess we'll see. <laughs> the cool thing about um, TDC is that. Even if you fail the exam your first time or your second time, they stay with you until. Uh, you yes, that's what I heard about them. Yeah. Yeah, so it's not like you. It's not like you're just. It's not like you're out of luck just buying this, you know, expensive program because it is expensive. It's like three hundred hours. It's a little bit more than the test, actually. And um, but they stay with you until you actually pass it. So I feel like as long as you learn in that particular way, um, I think it's a good investment, especially for people like me. Right. Now, uh, now I want to go back a little bit more uh, regarding um, your fit space uh, wellness. Um, you know, not not for profit. Now, I was going on on the website, just uh, doing some research, and I see that uh, you're starting support groups uh, uh, fairly soon. You can talk more about that. Yeah, so we're starting our online support groups on Tuesday, September twenty second, eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and. Anybody whatsoever can come to these groups. It's a general support group for anybody who needs to vent out frustrations, workplace frustrations. Maybe you're adjusting to a new job. Maybe you're dealing with kids being home. Whatever you need to vent out and get support in, that's kind of what we're here for. It's going to be a just kind of like a chill place to vent your frustrations out. It's totally free. Anybody who wants to contribute to our organization to keep the support group going or support us in our future endeavors, they're welcome that but if you're not in a place to where you do that or you just don't want to do it totally fine just come for free get support or even if you don't want support you just want to give support come and support someone else give them a resource at the end of group or give them some good words of affirmation those type of people too so how can somebody uh, sign up for your groups um well you don't really need to sign up so it's kind of similar to how aa and na and 12-step groups like that operate except without the spiritual element of it. So they basically can just come in and they state their name if they want to. If they're there, they just listen. They can just listen. If they just want to give support, they can just give support. But there's nothing you really do to sign up. You just, the day of the meeting, you just go onto our homepage. We have it up and you just click the click here link and we meet on Google Meet. So just make sure you have access to Google Meets as a video server and you just come on in whenever you want. 
How long are, are these uh, these meetings for? Um, they're going to be estimate to about an hour. It's kind of what the group uh, wants. So if it's a lower group, everybody gets what they need and, you know, whatnot. We'll probably do it from 8 to 9 p.m. EST. If not, it might be a little bit shorter. And after the group is formally over, um, kind of let people, if they want to stay in the group, they'll kind of be able to talk to group members if they want, grab support. You know, if they want to, you know, follow someone like, hey, like, and just create a community. Um, but during the group times, one of the rules I'm implementing in here is, and it's very similar to AA and NA where uh, they don't welcome cross talk. Um, so basically, during the group, criticize someone, share, don't do any of that. But some people do come for direct advice, you know, to these support groups. So I do want to give a place after the group is over formally for people to talk. Yes, that sounds uh, great. Um, I also noticed you uh, do some career coaching and some guest speaking. You want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things that I do is career coaching. I definitely have an alternative style of how I do it. So there's a lot of these career coaches that you'll buy out here. Um and they're just, they're either not realistic or you can tell that they've kind of learned this from a general class or maybe a general certification program. It's very much the same of put your best foot forward and don't stutter in an interview, advice like that. What I do is, depending on the service you want, I'll enhance your skill back in the day. I'll help you find skills that you didn't even know you had. And I'll also, if you have like, like I have a small small some people don't even notice it but occasionally i'll repeat over my work a little bit so sometimes that happens in an interview and one of the things i do in interview immediately is and moving forward i actually acknowledge it and go oh i'm sorry and that actually helped me get a couple offers it helped me yeah you you broke up a little bit if you could repeat that oh yeah yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry so <clears throat> excuse me i in my throat so one of the things that I have is a very slight speech impediment. Some people don't even notice it, but occasionally you'll hear me kind of stutter over my words a little bit. And it's something I used to be really insecure about. And so one of the things I do is some individuals who are career coaches, they'll tell you, oh, don't stutter in an interview. Don't mince your words. Appear competent 100% of the time. And what I'll do is it like with my speech impediment, I'll go in an interview and I'll be like, whatever I say, like how I repeat it. And I'll just be like, oh, I'm sorry, words are difficult. And it just kind of breaks the ice and acknowledges the mini awkwardness. And then we just move on. And that actually helped me stand out and get a couple jobs just because it made me more noticeable. It made me more of a person rather than here's a product on a resume. That's some of the teach people in my interview stuff that I go over with them is I highlight whatever their weaknesses in the interview are, and I help them build upon that with their strengths as well as, okay, how can you incorporate this weakness into an interview process to actually help you get noticed? That is, that, that sounds, that sounds cool. And not, you know, with, uh, in social work field, we always looking, uh, you know, you try to find if you're burnt out or right. Uh, no, F this job, let me try to find another job. And you no, know, so, you no know, things like that are, are important you know, during interviews and especially with COVID, uh, you know, having Zoom interviews and 
how to go about doing that and Google Meet interviews and people still doing old school phone interviews. So stuff like that is very important. And, you know, people find it hard, finding it really hard to uh, try to get a get a job. And, you know, if you got to do stuff going on interviews on Zoom, maybe have one or two interviews through Zoom and you might have one day that your internet connection is, is not working properly or doing a phone interview. Also, you know, know, still having those uh, skills is important to have in, during the interview process. Oh, for sure. For sure. A hundred percent. And then, um, <clears throat> and then um, one of the things that how I got my current job is a lot of people, when they go into interviews, they'll end up being like, Oh, I know how this works. Cause I had this experience and either it's a flat out lie or they just, you know, they might've did it one time and you know, that was it. And they're just saying whatever they can to get the job. I flat out told them in my current role that I do, um, I just got hired for, um, working with developmental disabilities. As I told you earlier, I don't have any experience in this right now. So this is a whole new subset population and working with. I told them flat out in the interview, look, I don't know what I'm doing. I've never worked with these people. The job seemed desirable as far as these hours, this money. That's kind of what I need. And then I highlighted how I was a fast learner. I explained how I was a fast learner. But I literally told them in the interview, I I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. So you're gonna have to teach me. And they and my hiring manager literally told me that's why I got the job because I was that honest with her. So sometimes the honesty is, is is the best best policy, and and if you're lucky, uh, that somebody who re- relates to that and willing to give you a shot, all you need is uh one yes uh, and look at that you got a job so congratulations on that how long you've been working at your current location um this is my third week right now so i'm still kind of in training wow. about the population <laughs> i know like when i say i'm new like i'm brand brand new to this so we're um it's definitely a desirable location in the sense that because it's a community-based job and based on how the management seems uh, there's a lot of flexibility, which I definitely need while I'm developing a nonprofit for sure. Just because right, I, might, of course. I might need to do a meeting. I might need to do a podcast like this, of course. And I just need that flexibility to determine when I'm going to work, if I can split up my day, if I can stack my hours so I can work on this thing over here. And it's actually perfect because I told them flat out in the interview too, that I was developing a nonprofit and they respected that. And, you know, they needed something, I needed something. And sometimes you just got to really be honest to find a job that's, you know, a decent fit for what you need to. And they'll honestly respect that nowadays. I think that a lot of these practices where people do go on interviews and they do do their resume, I think a lot of these things where people are sharing this advice, it's so outdated. Like it's not even needed anymore. Like I actually heard a practice 10 years ago when I was in high school where if they said you had any sort of life challenges or anything like that, you basically try to make yourself seem as perfect as possible. Dude, it's right. right now. We're in a global pandemic. Racial wars are, or racial tensions are at an all-time high right now. And there's so much stress going on in the world. You think nobody has problems? You have to be joking me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so where, so the uh, your job is located in Michigan? Yep, it's located in Michigan. It's located right outside of uh, Detroit. It's called MORC Inc. Uh, some of the people call it Mork Inc. Um, it's basically called the Macomb Oakland Regional Center, and they do a lot of advocacy work for individuals um, with physical disabilities. And then also, my nonprofit is here in Michigan as well, too. Oh, awesome. 
Um, how, how are things in in, uh, in Michigan o- o- overall? Uh, just uh, state, you know, locally with everything going on with with COVID. I know uh, the governor there. Uh, she's been in the spotlight a lot during this pandemic and going back and forth with with the president and you know, just. Uh, I've never been in in uh, Michigan. The closest I've been to to Michigan is uh, seeing the uh, Michigan Lady Wolverines play basketball <laughs> at, at at Rutgers, uh, and that happened uh, right before the, the shutdown. Oh, jeez. Yeah, <laughs> Michigan is um, Michigan is definitely interesting. I think we've definitely improved in a lot of areas under her leadership. I think she's done an overall great job. Um, our rates have definitely shown otherwise. They have went up and down, which I think that's just expected at this point. I mean, some weeks are going to be better than others. Some COVID results are going to be delayed. But overall, I think that the COVID rates are really down right now. People are very safe. There's a lot of strict guidelines for things to open up again right now, which I'm super happy about because if we were having this conversation three months ago, I was very confused with the leadership. So I'm glad that our governor actually, for the most part, listens to our citizens and listens to even the criticisms that she gets and tries to tweak them to the best of our abilities as well as try to keep us safe. Um, So several months ago, what was going on was much like the rest of the nation, uh, the country shut or the state shut down. And really it was just pharmacies and grocery stores open, which at that time, that's kind of what needed to be done. We were at all time high with this new virus that we know nothing about. And we just had to shut everything down. What happened was around the summertime, things started to slowly open back up with standard precautions. To me, that made a little bit of sense, especially because we live in a capitalistic society. Um, The way I look at things is I think that with the current economic state that we have and the current economic system that we have, we have to combine what's best for public safety while also balancing out the economy however we can in the most safe and efficient way possible. And a lot of people people look at it as either or. It's either you pick the economy or you pick public safety. I don't know why it's a pick either or thing. I think we can do both. And um, do I wish that we were like other countries where we we could just shut down the whole country And I think, I can't remember if it was Italy or not, but there was a country that when they shut down, they literally shut everything down. Like you weren't going to the grocery store, you weren't doing anything. They were bringing your food to your house. Everything was just set up like that and you you weren't leaving your house. And then they paid to stay home. And then all of a sudden, two months later, pretty much everything was fine. I wish we could do something like that. But in America, with the current economic systems we have, it's just not feasible. So... And that's right, like, and, every, and every state want to do wants wants to do their own thing, which doesn't help either. Well, yeah, every state wants to do their own thing. There's no real federal regulation saying you need to do this, other than you know stand six feet apart and keep hand sanitizing. Like, okay, how much is that really going to help? Especially if, I mean, we can even get into the nitty gritty of it, where even the states that have these policies of you have to wear a mask wherever you go. There's a lot of different counties and police departments. They're not enforcing that. One they, don't yeah. have, one, they don't have time, and two, they don't want to. So they're not Yeah, working. exactly. So what happened is around summer, a lot of the businesses that were starting to open, there was a lot of switching out. So like all of a sudden, we opened quite a few more businesses, but then we shut them back down. And there were bars that at one point were open. They shut those down again. 
Um, but they opened the casinos and strip clubs, which was kind of controversial to be honest. And, <laughs> but they weren't opening places like the gyms. Now, as someone who can see both sides of the equation, I was kind of torn with it. I know for feasible reasons, obviously being a gym, you're sweating, things are going on. You need more time to come up with a direct plan, but you know, selfishly and as well as for other people I know, a gym is a very stable mental health regimen and pro-social activity that really helps a lot of people. And um, I did a, I didn't do a study, but I looked up a study that they did in Norway where the gyms were open with strict uh, precautions. So it was like, in addition to the six feet apart, in addition to wearing a mask while you're in the gym, there were certain uh, cleaning regimens that they had to do every 30 minutes. And what they found in that study was there was little to no effect of increased COVID cases because they took those precautions and they studied about 400 gyms in Norway. And so I always said, if we could do something like that, which is kind of what they're doing now here in Michigan, I feel like the gyms could be a lot safer and able to open just like any other place. Um, so I did a lot of writing to the governor. I know a lot of people are doing a lot of writing to the governor. And thankfully because of that recently, she actually did open up the gyms with these requirements and not only I'm able to have my mental health regimen back, but, you know, a lot of people are able to do it safely now, which I think is awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. I know they um, now I'm, I'm based out of New York uh, for now, um, and they are doing a lot of precautions, even um, where, where I was working at with uh, Crunch Fitness in New York. They definitely taking a lot of safety, safety precautions and doing all these sprays and how you how you clean your house like the outside of your house they're using those type of machines mm -hmm. with, and it's filled with disinfectant and just wiping everything down and spraying everything down so they're definitely doing a good job with that um and, and i noticed you you sell stuff on, on uh teespring we got something in common with that <laughs> yeah um, you have a lot of cool stuff too i'm um i definitely want to get one of your masks too that i've seen them they're so awesome Yes, yeah, so and tell tell the people the stuff that you sell, and you know, give the link out to to your merchandise. Awesome. So I have two different merch stores. One is for my nonprofit, and then the other one is just my generalized merch store. So my personal merch store is on my Instagram link. You can find me at that social worker J. So that social worker J, no spaces, and then J A Y is my name. And basically, my wear has started as a social work branding wear. Um, it's called Them Badass Social Workers. So what inspired me to actually make this merch store and this particular brand is because a lot of social work shirts I see and a lot of social work merch in general I see, it's either honestly kind of depressing. <laughs> like it's always, <laughs> it's, always, it's always emphasis on like the jobs that we do and how negative it is and how we burn out and, you know, stay away from me and all that kind of stuff. And the other side of it is it's really corny and cheesy. And I did not like either of those brands. I'm definitely not a corny or cheesy person in general. So I wanted something that really stands out and nothing like it on you know the social work merch market. So I created them badass social workers. It's basically a way to empower us in an untraditional way. Um, there's a lot of symbolism in my shirts too, especially the original ones I created. So the color scheme that I kind of use is like a purple and blue color. Uh, which represents eating disorder awareness and cancer awareness. My dad has terminal brain cancer right now, uh, which right wow, now. I'm sorry to hear that. 
Yes, thank you, thank you. Um, he is actually outlived though his prognosis. They told him he would have six months to live. Um, he's on his fourth year right now. It's kind of right. Yes, the fourth year, and it's kind of we have a sick sense of humor in my family. Just so you know, so if you laugh at all, but we kind of like we're kind of like sometimes watching our watch, like okay, like what's about to happen now, like <laughs> So it's kind of sick, and then. Uh, my mom had a stroke in 2014 on top of it. So the running joke in my family is we, the first week of my undergrad program, my mom has a stroke that almost killed her. And then the first week of my grad program, my dad has terminal cancer. Everyone thinks this is tragic. We think this is hilarious, <laughs> like in such a dark, twisted way. We just think, honestly, I think humor is like the best thing ever for me. But regardless of that, that's a little rant for later. Um, my merch is definitely untraditional. So the color scheme really highlights my struggle as well as my dad's cancer struggle, as well as my aunt's cancer struggle. She had breast cancer a few years back, um, which I'm getting ready to release breast cancer awareness shirts for October. So I'll make sure you guys tune in for that. Um, and also the scheme of the shirt has like these glasses that kind of have like a filter on it that you would see at the club. That kind of represents our identity or our potential identity outside of the field because i feel like we often take that identity as a social worker and we put it into our personal life and i feel like at times that could really just be unhealthy because when your whole life like 24 7 365 as a social worker you really don't feel like a human anymore you're not really like we're allowed to have fun we're allowed to you know have mental struggles you know we're allowed to be stressed out sometimes and we're allowed to have an identity outside of the work that we do. And I feel like that's just something that I wanted to portray with the designs I made too. That sounds good. Yeah, I, I checked out some of the stuff. Definitely uh, like the design, like the colors, definitely something different compared to you know, the few that, that, that I've seen. And so uh, I definitely would be, be checking that out. Um, no, thank you for coming on. I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, pleasure talking to you, especially the last few days going on your IG live and you coming on to the podcast, you know, having the, this social works worker uh, spotlight and all the great things that you're you're doing apparently uh, and with your nonprofit. Best wishes with that. Awesome. And, thank you so much. I appreciate that a lot. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Uh, have a great one. All right, you too. Thank you so much. We'll be in touch soon. All right, take care. Yep, bye-bye.